Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Toffee Web Podcast. Hello again, Blues, and welcome back once again to the Toffee Web Podcast. It's the evening of Tuesday, the 24th of October, as we record. The Anfield derby is behind us with another predictable result and even more predictable refereeing controversy. Uh, myself, Paul, and Andy will talk about that because we have to, really. Uh, and then look ahead to another tricky away fixture against West Ham on Sunday. Uh, but we'll start, obviously, with the sad news that Bill Kenwright passed away last night at the age of 78. Uh, the club's chairman had pre- obviously been ill for some time and recently underwent fairly serious surgery to remove a cancerous tumor, tumor from his liver. But it seemed as though he was on the road to recovery, so the timing is a little sudden. Uh, but our condolences, of course, go out to his longtime partner, Jenny Seagrove, his daughter, Lucy, and his grandchildren and friends, not to mention all those at Everton who will feel the loss of someone who had been around the corridors at Goodison Park for over 30 years. Andy, his legacy at Everton obviously became quite complicated over the years, but regardless regardless of anyone's views of his stewardship of the club, there's no question uh, that Bill was a huge figure in the club's history. While he probably hasn't been all that hands-on in recent weeks during the final stages of his battle with cancer, uh, he nonetheless leaves a fairly large void in the hierarchy, doesn't he? He does, and I think you've you've hit the nail on the head with the word you've chosen to use there. It became complicated, didn't it? Um, but I think I think if we if we look beyond that, I, I think any any club organisation with a charismatic leader, their their imprint is is on the culture of of that club and i i feel a lot of his good points that that people will remember him by 
is ingrained in Everton culture. Um, and you think about how the club has held itself in the last 20, 30 years. Okay, we've not had much success on the football pitch, but if you look at how the club it's held, has held itself in the, in the wider world, um, I, I think there is a lot to be proud of in terms of the culture of Everton Football Club. And I think we've all felt that at some point over the last um, couple of decades, um, what it means to be Everton. Um, and I think some or a lot of that does come back to him. Um, and I, 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 I mean, I'll remember him as a person that just dearly, dearly loved Everton. And when I think when you love something that much uh, and you're that close to it, sometimes it can become very complicated. And that's what we saw at the end. But I think there will certainly be a fondness looking back um, at somebody who, like us all, he just loved Everton. And I think the bottom line was he just wanted Everton to be better. Um, and we all have, we've all shared that and we all still share that with him. Um, so that's that's the kind of things I'm thinking tonight. And you're right, it is still a bit of a shock, even though we knew he was ill. Um, when it was first kind of mentioned today that the, there could be this news breaking, I, th- I did sit back and wow, I mean, that's... That does seem still sudden, um, and it might take a while to get used to um, him not being. I know he hasn't been around match days for a while, but just his name associated with the club, really. Um, and it is a bit of a shock in that way. But that's how I'm thinking tonight. That's how I'm looking back, because most of my adult life, really, supporting Everton, he's been there or thereabouts in in the running of the club, and and a lot of a lot of the things that i am proud of of everton in the last 30 years he has been a big part of that um and that's that's i think to his credit well said andy um yeah i've never been really that comfortable with like a lot of the sort of criticism that that's come bill's way because it felt like it's got a bit too personal and uh, the the bottom line is he was a, he was a massive Evertonian. Was the bottom line? He 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 loved Everton daily, didn't he? Did uh, did Bill and yeah, you know, it, it it it's obviously one for another day or days gone already. I suppose if we're going to talk about the rights and wrongs of what he's done, but um, I think it's just apparent, like you know, the amount of players that come out already now on like their Instagrams or whatnot of just to say um to to you know give condolence messages to Bill Cameron. It just shows how much he meant to people. And we're going back, you know, we're talking about Tim Kale and Wayne Mooney, talking about Andy Gray, you know what I mean? We're, t- we're talking and, and current players, Dominic Carver Lewin, Michael Keane, and Deli Alley, who hasn't been at the club that long. And you know, it's um they, they all, you know, seem to have a really, really close connection and a good affinity um to Michael uh to um to Bill Kenwright. Maybe he maybe he um, took on a lot of the club's issues. Perhaps he was a player. Certainly seems to have a lot of um, a lot of time for him. You know, maybe you know, maybe maybe he bore the brunt of it maybe more than perhaps he should have done. So um, yeah, I'm sad. I'm sad. I'm sad about Bill because all the the wrongdoings of Everton on the pitch, performance off the pitch, all the things that have gone wrong, badly wrong over the last few years, all of it must have hurt Bill an awful lot. And you can say whether he was responsible for a lot of that or not or whatever, whatever. The bottom line is it will have hurt him. 
and um, definitely did clearly did you know so um yeah so yeah i'm sad i'm sad bill's gone um and uh it's gonna be weird i imagine for a lot of people even though he hasn't you know, as you said his presence you know has been felt and um i think we play it'd, it'd be really really strange around the club it'd be a tough tough feeling for people i think going you know this this next week or so um so yeah just um everyone it is, it is a little bit law and you know yeah just just sad really so um yeah rest in peace bill yeah, he was the last of his breed, really, wasn't he? A kind of old school chairman and figurehead, a bit like Doug Ellis, um, who remained in the game while billionaires and investment firms and sovereign wealth funds, you know, gradually took over the uh, the Premier League around him. I think there was a feeling when Mashiri came in that Bill's continuing presence and influence would kind of ensure that the soul of the club continued, you know, in in, in the boardroom, uh, and I think. If you could see, you know, you could see that in in Brownie Moore Doc, um, especially. I don't know if you saw Dan Mice's uh, tweet earlier, but you know, he praised Ken Wright for you know for the for the way that he fought for the site, um, and the design. And I'm sure he was the prime mover behind you know the original King's Doc proposal as well. And while there are plenty of opportunity to discuss his legacy and and meant the fact that even for his own sake, he probably held on a bit too long rather than step aside a few years ago. Um, you know, maybe take a life presidency title. I mean, it shouldn't be forgotten that he was a, a compassionate and, and, and very generous man. So you know, it's a sad day for the club and that many people have, will have lost a friend. And again, for all the controversy that you know this played out last season vis-a-vis the board and open letters between Bill and the fan groups, I mean, it's sad that he felt he had to stay away from Goodison for the final few months of his life. And I've no doubt, uh, you know, that wounded him a great deal. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, just to touch on a couple of those messages, you know, Wayne Rooney devastated to hear the sad news about Ken Wright. I've known Bill since I was young, and he had a huge impact on me as a person in my career. Big inspiration, Tim Cahill. I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity to play for the club and the support throughout my career on and off the park. I'll miss our calls and our stories about Everton. And you're right that that feels old school doesn't it it feels like yeah uh, a, very much so. a, chair, a chairman someone who's actually running a proper premier league football club with those kind of stature of players who are, is actually really hands-on and really there with them and you get so many different well we'll probably go through this in the next six months ourselves but we get so many different people involved at football clubs now who are not connected in in a way and i always felt he was that connection between how a club should conduct itself and the day-to-day, you know, players coming from all around the world to play for you. And yeah, I just he, he in in his in his heyday of of being in charge, and I'm thinking probably Moyes era now, and maybe Martinez to begin with. Um, I, I think he was quite unique, and I think he, I think he set or the culture he set. Um, set us apart in, in from so many clubs at the time who were going through that kind of corporate takeover. And we were kind of still, I hate saying it in these ways, but we were still little old Everton because, you know, because we had that that person there and, you know, right or wrong, you know, that that's what made us us for, for, for quite a long time. Yeah, you just touched on David Moyes. I think our, our opponents on Sunday, I'm sure he, he, he had a great connection with Bill, didn't he? And 
interested to see what he comes out with and says. I'm sure he'll give it like a really, really nice tribute. That'll hurt him. And I think that says a lot about, you know, the, how well he was revered in the game, I suppose. And um, Roberto Martinez too. I think they had a really good relationship, you know what I mean? So he's um, he was certainly very popular, you know, not always with the fans, obviously, but um, certainly within the game. Very highly thought of, must have done a lot of good things, which we didn't see really. You know, you don't you don't see what goes on or the, the little bits behind the scenes. So um, I think it always says a lot when other people speak so highly of you. So um, yeah, and I think that's that's apparent with you know the managers we got and other managers and other people in the game. I'm sure will come out and say very nice things about Bill in the coming uh, in the coming days and, and weeks. So uh, yeah, um, sad day. I suppose we have to. Learn. Look back at the uh, at the derby. <laughs> it's um, it, it's funny. I um, you know, as I often do with these things, because you know we we usually lose, and I just don't want to think about it. My, I mean, I I just stepped away, and I hadn't really studied the uh, that incident um, with Kanate um, and Beto. Uh, the initial replays that I saw, all I saw was Kanate's um, arm across Beto's chest barely touching and I thought well, there's not much in there and then it was only once I came back and I was looking just at the furious reaction from the you know from Evertonians on all over social media all over Tokyo but I thought well there must be something in there so I went back and, and watched it again and lo and behold we have um, as you put it Paul in your match report a another just scandalous decision to uh, to add to what is becoming a very very long list it's I'm running. I'm running out of ways of being angry about it, and I'm sure you feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyone just maybe just press play on uh, last week's podcast before you already understand our sort of yeah. feelings uh, <laughs> about uh, about the Merseyside derby, especially at Anfield. And um, you know, as you say, many a times we just haven't turned up at Anfield and we got on what we deserved. And yeah, it, it, it's not pleasant. But yeah, you have to sort of. Well, we got well beaten there, and that's that. You can blame the players for not trying, managers, whatever, whatever. But sometimes they're just too good, and, that, and that's mm. that. But and we can't. Let, let's let's be fair. This isn't something that happens every time, but it's happened certainly more than enough times now at Anfield, where you know we just. It, you just kind of feel like it doesn't matter what we do if that if if we're just not going to get that fair that fair fight, you know and. If you're sending one player off for that, then you can't not send the other player off for that. It, 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 it's kind of as simple as that, really. Um, well, the two yellows rather for each, and it, it, it just it just leads to frustration. No matter how how hard you try, no matter what how much of the game plan you get right, and how much you know, in adversity you do all you can, it just feels futile, doesn't it? A lot of the time. So um, yeah, nothing but frustration, really. And it's just you, we're just going over the same old stuff. One thing maybe probably a bit more in our favour. I think other times this sort of stuff's happened and nobody's really better than either. I feel like the media's been a bit more on Everton's side than this one, or at least the reaction has been more than I can yeah. remember being. Um, you know, which is which is something, I guess. But I don't really see why it was any... We're getting more of a reaction to this than we did for the the, the, the Lampard one. You know, for example, a couple of seasons ago, I thought, if, if anything, we got a bit, a, a bit more hard on to in that one. You know what I mean? So um, we'll see how long the media take, you know, they uh, look up and take notice of it and and how quickly it gets swept under the carpet again and forgotten about and the cynic in me suggests before we know it nobody would talk about it again and come the next derby it'll just be kind of groundhog, groundhog refereeing day again you know so um, yeah it's just frustrating but you know I thought the lads did well I um, thought they dug in really really well um, went down to 10 men and 
they couldn't really do much more than that, I don't think, realistically. You know what I mean? With the uh, with what we've got compared to what they've got. Um, look at some comments on social media. Why didn't we have a go? Why didn't we have It's like, well, realistically, what could we do? In, yeah. in my opinion, I don't really see it. If we'd have had a go, we'd have got, we'd have got walloped. You know what I mean? So um, it's made up with the players. It's frustrating that we lost it the way we did. Haven't gone that far, despite not getting uh, the game not being evened up. It's a mistake by Keane again, which is frustrating. It's uh, it's it's soft, haven't you? It was just like the just like the Leicester one last season, wasn't it? Away and just like you you wonder why why is your arm out there? It's ball to hand, yes, but you can't leave your hand out there now. You know you you know that you wonder why that's happening. But yeah, I was quite proud of the players overall. I thought they had a, had a really good go and. Uh, yeah, they shouldn't be downhearted because it was it was a good effort and uh, just got to move on to the next one now. But just that lack of sense of like, what the point to be? You know what I mean? Because it's just uh, I don't yeah. really, you know, you, you just kind of think, what's what can we actually do? You know what I mean? So yeah, it's frustrating. Um, but when isn't it? The big defeats are easier, aren't they? Because if you go there and get walloped, you come away and go well. <laughs> There you go. But the ones where you feel like it could have been different if that's the that's that what that's what grates you. I think that's what makes the kind of that's what makes the refereeing decision or a couple of refereeing decisions really even more annoying. It wasn't as if we went there and got beaten four nil and okay, at one point they could have gone down to ten, whatever. It was, you know, until that point, in fact, you know, if he'd gone after that point, 10 on 10, who knows what would have happened. But yeah, the big defeats are easier and I, the ones that are like this are not. Um, one thing, I, the positives, let's not talk about, everybody spoke about the referee and I, I, you won't get anything different from me on that front. But the the bits that I liked were the organisation. I thought we looked really well drilled, actually. Um, I thought man to man, um, one-on-one, we did really well. Mikolenko had a great game one-on-one. Um, the, the couple of the midfielders really stood up, I felt. Um, that was good. Um, the one thing I would say critically about our performance, and this wasn't anybody in particular or any point in the game in particular, the, the stats will probably say that we didn't really create all that much. But we had chances to make chances quite a lot. So that, that bit just before the chance gets there, like, so there's a, there's a possible ball on in midfield to go wide or a possible ball on where we've got two on one, but we just didn't play the right ball. Mm-hmm. And so we had lots of, you know, especially in the first half, I remember a couple of times Garner misplaced quite a simple, well, what looked like quite a simple 15, 20 yard pass straight forward to where we had two players on one. And he misplaced it to their man. And we had, so we had several chances to make chances. And it was just that, I don't know, it was just very frustrating from that point of view because you can see why Liverpool can see goals. I know they didn't. I know they got a clean sheet against us, but you can see how they have let teams into games this year. They can be a little bit open and a bit loose. And we just didn't quite take our chances to make a chance. Um but there we go. I mean, you know, I, uh, like Paul said, I, you you kind of you wonder how, what what kind of script they're going to write next at Anfield to how we're going to manage lose to lose a game. But um, but um, it, there were positives in there. Yeah, absolutely. I think the game plan was working until um, my friend Ashley Young intervened. Um, 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's and you know, we obviously had the the, the first chance, the one that uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin had. But I mean, as you were saying, Andy, that the, we did have moments to create moments, and quite a few of the quite a few of those moves broke down in ways that they often do. You know, there's there's one of the <laughs> the things that I'd highlighted in my notes as I was covering the game, watching the game, was just execution. You know, some of our execution just isn't there compared to a team like Liverpool, which, you know, you would expect they have better players. Um, you know, there were times when, you know, like as you say, Ghana misplacing what what could have been, you know, a James Rodriguez type pass. And then Abdullah Dekori had quite a few opportunities to sort of get the ball uh, forward or past his man in, in, in attacking areas and just ended up getting tackled or running down a blind alley. And it was just, you know, things like that that, unfortunately do separate the two teams and but i think again going back to the game plan the game plan is obviously designed to try and you know bridge that gap and mitigate some of those those disparities just by being competitive and and physical and staying in the game which obviously we were doing until young got sent off and we're still doing in the second half you know playing with uh playing with with one man less and so many so many times in games, whether it's a whether it's a psychological thing, you know, the, the referees will often even things up when the opportunity presents itself, and that was a you know a guilt edge opportunity for Craig Pawson, who we all know is, is he's a terrible referee and he has been for a long time. Obviously, we've, we've got the Newcastle incident uh, where he sent off Alan, you know, having made the right decision and then gone to the monitor and. and changed it for the wrong decision. There was an incident, I think, under Lampard at Bournemouth where we you know where we lost and there was a ridiculous decision where he I think he'd he'd allowed play to go on when there was a clear um potential head injury to was it James Kartarkovsky, I think. So it's um you know I've I almost I had actually had it in my notes for last week's podcast. I said, you know, don't just don't discount the fact that Craig Porson is a referee and lo and behold, he, you know, he has a uh, a a vital uh, a vital influence on the game. So yeah, it's 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 unfortunate because in aggregate over the history of this fixture, you know, we obviously have a terrible record in it, but a lot of it, a lot of these key decisions go against us, whether it's at Goodison or at Anfield. You know, you can have the you can have the discussion of uh, corruption versus and bias versus just unconscious bias. Um, you know, I think these things do play a role. We go back to that old statistic where we went what was it, something like 40 years and only having two penalties at Anfield? I mean, there's those things, when you look at things over the over a long period of time, they all kind of paint a picture of, of uh, you know, what's going on in referees' minds and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was um, it was frustrating not to be able to have the opportunity to try and get something from the game. Yeah, I think it's more biased. I mean, I've always thought it's more biased than corruption, but, hey, what do I know? Yeah. But I think it's just a bias over a long period of time. Mm. And, yeah. People, you know, will, will say that's been the case since like the seventies and eighties too. You know, like I, obviously, I'm not, I don't know about that, but um, yeah, good, good point you make, Andy. I think that, that about like yeah, chances to create chances. One thing actually just occurred to me, it was really poor with our set pieces, which is really should be one of our strengths. It just felt like you know we really, really, really failed with them. It goes to like oh, you know, we're one down late in the game, and oh, we get a corner. Come on, this is really gonna have to count this. And it doesn't beat the first man, and that's really very on Dyche, very on Everton these days. I think that was, that was uh, well, Ashley Young wasn't on the pitch, I guess, to take a bad <laughs> corner for us. But yeah, yeah. But the, uh, 
Yeah, so and yeah, and yeah, the amount of times you saw up the line, the core, they just like it's not it's not a strength to be fair. He just like you know, when he, he's got to think about these, you know, think about a pass, it's that's it, probably goes wrong. It's when it's a bit instinctive for Abdullah. Mm. And he's a player that we know who does a lot of good things for us, he works very, very hard. But you think you have to kind of accept his limitations, and that's the problem we've got. It's we're limited in a lot of ways, and that's when we're up against a team of that quality. Um, it's 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 it, it's always going to be very tough. Um, yeah, what can you do? Again, you, you you just want a fair a fair crack from the referee early, and that was such an easy such an easy decision to give to give a second yellow to Kaluta in, you know. And I think obviously, as we all know, Jurgen Klopp substituted them immediately. Um, after that, which which kind of says it all, and then. In the in the away end, uh, I think that's when sort of like frustration really boiled over for a lot of people when he came on over and booked Sean Dyche and yeah, you know, and then obviously we didn't really see what was happening on the other end of the pitch and it's like oh look he's going to the he's going to the uh, monitor of obviously he's given a penalty obviously yeah you know I mean yeah. you can't help but get to that sort of like oh great here we go again sort of feeling you know and um, yeah it was a frustrating yeah we, we I think those people fans were really really proud of the lads uh, thought we had a really really good shift but then frustration got the better of a lot of people in them closing stages and uh, yeah it was yeah just just, just really frustrating um, but it's not all the time we're coming out of Anfield I mean last season to be fair when we lost 2-0 like we had a chance a good chance just before they scored but you didn't leave the game really, or what? What you didn't leave watching the game, particularly proud of the lads. You kind of felt like we were just like just hanging in there and just taking this, you know, defeat. Let's not make it any worse. I was proud of the lads this time. Um, and if you come out of the derby proud of them, then yeah, you know, at least at least you know they've done something right. So um, yeah, yeah, we just got to sort of pull it to bed quickly. They can be proud of the performance, and uh, I think there's a lot they can use from it going into the next game. And uh, is there a bit of an opportunity for Sean to? Bring up a bit of a, like a, a siege mentality with the players if he hasn't already sort of looked at that sort of thing. I don't know if that's his that's his sort of style. It's like you know, the wall against us, and you can go back and point to other decisions like the first game of the season when we had the goal that's allowed and other little things. He could, yeah, you know, it can sort of galvanise this mentality with players sometimes, can't you? I don't know if, he, if that's the sort of thing he looks to do, but it might be an opportunity to do that. Do you feel like the players are hurting a bit from it as well? Judging on the sort of interviews from Pickford and Tarkovsky and Van Fuyst after the game. There's a you know, bit of anger about it, so let's hope that he can channel that the right way um, going into West Ham, because that'd be a really, really tough game again. Um, but opportunities there, if you can channel it correctly, to really get yeah a really good sting out of the players and hopefully just move on on to the next game. I like those comments from Pickford. You know, I like the fact that yeah. there was a bit of there was a bit <laughs> of needle behind it. You know, there was a bit of uh, frustration, and you know how how many times are we going to have to deal with this kind of thing? Um, yeah, I like that more more, please. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a team look so vulnerable from their own corners, though. Have you? We were very. I, mean, I know that's. Uh, I know that's what Liverpool do. Liverpool run at you when they're on the break. That's their game. But wow! Every time we got a corner, I was genuinely worried about conceding a goal. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we were very, very open from from our own attacking areas, which I think goes back to the fear that we had about the Aston Villa, the repeat of the Aston Villa performance, wasn't it? I guess though it's a tough one with corners, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you want to be brave and go for the goal. Yeah, you know I mean, if the only way you, you know you're going for a goal with corner really is by having enough bodies forward, really. Um, you know, at what point do you sacrifice that and go right? We're going to leave a few lads back here in case because we're worried about them attacking. Yeah, you know I mean, because mm. that's kind of negates the whole corner in the first place. So you got to, it's it's one of them, isn't it? You got to sort of <laughs> kind of hope for the best and gamble a bit with that sort of thing, really. 
they were very impressive to me, Liverpool, in that regard. I would say that the uh, counter-attacking, I thought they were um, extremely good. Made it very, very difficult for us in that regard. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's not really why we lost the game, was it? <laughs> like, really, okay, the second late breakaway goal was from something similar to that. But yeah, that's not that's not really what cost it. Was. I think the second half actually everything was really in front of us. Probably because we didn't really get up the, <laughs> up the other side of the pitch for that to happen, I suppose. But uh, yeah, like I say, proud of the lads and, and they move on. Okay, well, uh, West Ham away next, obviously, which uh, won't be as daunting as taking on 12 men at Anfield. But nonetheless, uh, David Moyes has a pretty good team at the moment. Although, having just been, been shellacked by Aston Villa, there might be a... Um, you know something that we can exploit there, Andy. What's any anything anything that you would change to the side that uh, that started against Liverpool? Obviously, Young won't be there, uh, so he's going to be forced into at least one there, and hopefully that means an opportunity for uh, Nathan Patterson. But but anything else? No. Simple answer. <laughs> uh, next one. Uh, sure. No, uh, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't change anything from that. I, I think it's going to you know the, the the performance being away from home. Or the setup, should I say, being away from home at a relatively good side who were quite comfortable with the ball um, probably mm-hmm. won't change an awful lot. So you can, it's not a complete blueprint you can move across, but there's a lot of likeness there. So I think because, like we've all said, because the the general performance was pretty good, or at least it was functional in in that scenario. I'd keep it the same, and I think he'll keep it the same. I think he, I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll grow to we'll, we'll learn this. So we're with Sean Dyche that once something is kind of all right and going down the right track, I think he keeps likes to keep it very very similar. Um, so I would be very surprised if there's not. I'd be very surprised if there, if there are any more changes apart from what we assume is going to be just Patterson in for Young. Um, I'm just looking at West Ham's fixtures. I mean, they've you know they've they've had Newcastle and Villa back to back. They go away to Olympiacos Thursday night, and then they've got us on Sunday, and then they've got Arsenal home in the League Cup on Wednesday. So that's a relatively tough run of fixtures. Um, I know they've yeah. dealt quite well with the European thing in general, although their league form did slump a bit last season. I just wonder whether, you know, being the optimist, that this might be a good time to catch them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Paul, we discussed the uh, that midfield conundrum in la- in last week's podcast, and uh, he obviously went for Onana and Ghana, which, I mean, I thought worked worked pretty well. How did you see it? Uh, Anfield. Yeah, Danfield, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think James Garner had the best game, if I'm honest. Particularly in the first half, what the second half he grew into it a bit more. Um, you know, a lot of it was down, yeah, but that was, you know, more filling holes and getting in the way and sort of, he didn't really have too much opportunity to use the ball really in the yeah. second half there. But yeah, I don't think he was great in the first half. Uh, it's a bit like the sort of like, everyone always thinks he can't wait to get Michael Keane back in. It probably feels to me as he probably can't <laughs> wait to get Adrian Gay back in. So I don't know how <laughs> that'll work. But um, Amadou and Arna thought an excellent game. The last two games from Anana, he's um, he's been very good. I think there's been um, a lot of question marks about his consistency. It's been very good the last two games, so hopefully turning the corner with that consistent level. Fingers crossed. It's only two matches, but he um, was very disciplined. I thought on on um, on Saturday, and he, he kind of 
felt like he was kind of on that on in the second half, almost in that kind of number six role, really. Which we haven't. I don't think we've really seen him play that fully, you know. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe there is a long term, longer term future for him in that role. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if there's changes to the team on 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 Sunday. Um, he might be tempted to go three at the back again, possibly. I don't know. Mm. I mean, what was the? So I think back to the to that really good win at Aston Villa. Um, it was a little bit of a different setup because obviously um, Jack Harrison played for most of that game, didn't he? And did Dwight McNeil play as well, or did he come out? I forget exactly. But um, yeah, I don't be, wouldn't be shocked if there's a couple of changes to the team there. Um, but the, the, obviously. Patterson, you assume are coming at right back. It'd be a bit, it'd be a heck of a blow to Patterson if, if say Garner is shoved out to right wing back to you know or right back to accommodate address a gay coming in or something like that. And that wouldn't surprise me either. I hope Patterson gets that opportunity to play there. He needs games really, doesn't he, to, to to develop. So I don't know. I'm intrigued to see what happens there. I wouldn't be shocked if there's a few changes though. It made me um it made me chuckle having gone through the all the things we thought he'd do last week, which was definitely get Garner Gay back in the team, is just who's gonna drop back. <laughs> and then and he was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> but in a good way. I'm I'm pleased. I'm yeah. pleased. I'm pleased that I'm pleased that Onana and, and Garner are given a chance in there. Well, yeah, I think you, Andy, had made the point. You know, put put the two younger guys in there and, and let them uh you know, let them, let's see what they can do together. So, yeah. But, it, yeah, it will be interesting to see whether, uh, you know, he does bring Adrissa Gay back in. Um, if only to sort of do that squad rotation thing where you try and keep players happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was a bit surprised he didn't actually get him onto the pitch on, on Saturday, though, unless he still didn't think he was quite fit enough. I don't know, because I just felt like the way the game was going, he might have been actually quite handy to have in there. Whether it would have made, whether it made a difference, I don't know. But just felt as as the game went on, as we got more laggy, might have just been handy to have him in there. For what, but then I guess we had to sort of keep a few changes back in case we went behind almost. And that's when obviously Dan Juma and Chimiti were able to come into the game a bit later. So I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I thought he might have been might have been helpful having him in in for that one. But yeah, who knows? We'll see. We'll see how we go. I've, I've just got a feeling there'll be a few changes to the team. Um, not saying necessarily should be. Just that's just the inkling we've got. Yeah, I didn't think for me is like Andy said about the fixtures. I didn't realise. Um, I I knew they had Olympiacos, but I didn't realise that the big one of fixtures we just had and had Arsenal coming up. So um, just with that in mind, it's yeah, it, it could be an opportunity. I guess flip side, they really, they're probably really targeting this one for three points. You would have thought though from their end, but um, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, might be an opportunity with a bit of fatigue and they're not in great form are they last couple of games, so maybe it just could just be a chance there. Yeah, and there's always that that Europe factor, isn't there? That coming back from uh, from European games on the Thursday, which for some reason seems to affect teams more than teams from going from Wednesday to Saturday in the Champions League. But uh, I, I seem to recall that the last that the last time West Ham were coming off a European game, they actually did quite well. But uh, I mean, in the main, as I say, they they there tends to be kind of like a European hangover. So maybe that's uh, something else that'll that'll work in our favour. Yeah, they came back off of uh, well, the, so far this season they've played at home in Europe and then lost at Liverpool the day the the week after the game after, and then they went to Freiburg and won, and then drew at home to Newcastle. Those have been their two Europa League games this season so 
tough games though on the flip side of that coin I kind of had it in my head that we were entering a, a really difficult period of fixtures which might turn out to be the case so I don't want to kind of you know <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to give it a big one here but like we've got West Ham away fair enough Burnley, Burnley at home in the League Cup Brighton at home in the Premier League Palace away in the Premier League and then Man United at home, and then Forest away. Now, all of a sudden, with a kind of... I know we haven't necessarily got brilliant results, but we've won, still won three of the last five. With a with a kind of half-functioning team, all of a sudden, and a squad that looks like a, a squad, a bit more like a squad, that doesn't somehow seem as daunting as I thought it was. Is that just my perception? Uh, well, no, I mean, because I think we have the, the, the Dominic Calvert-Lewin factor where we feel as long as we've got him or a striker with his abilities and goal-scoring ability in the side, then we are a different proposition. And I think we're actually going to learn quite a lot about the team in the next few games because there's, there's quite a variety of opposition there. Uh, obviously, Brighton is going to be the, the, a really difficult one because just because of the way they play and, and particularly, you know, at... Uh, at Goodison, we'll probably let them have the ball, um, but we just need to obviously not get uh, completely ripped apart like we did the time before, um, you know, on the in early January. But you know, United at home, they're they're kind of an iffy iffy proposition. I mean, from their own perspective, they're they're quite inconsistent right now. So there's an opportunity there. Uh, we 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 do well. We do play well in the kind of fixtures like Forest away, which we did last season, and probably should have won. So I think. Yeah, I think there's opportunity there. And I think we're going to learn quite a bit about, A, whether we're going to have enough to stay up, which I think we will. Obviously, going back to the whole discussion about there being three teams worse than us, I think there unquestionably are. It'd be quite an achievement for us to go down this season. So um, don't quote me on that one. Um, <laughs> but I think that uh, we'll find out what sort of team we might be going future if Sean Deitch is a long-term long-term you know, long-term appointment if he sticks around for the long term, and what sort of um, what sort of team we become under him. That's what I'm, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I think like the the sort of positive positivity, I guess, is kind of the because of the performance levels more so than perhaps the results. While I say three three wins in the last five, that's obviously pretty good. Um, Generally, throughout the season, the level of performance has been good, hasn't it? I think we can only really look at the sort of Villa game and the the Arsenal game, really, where you know everyone's been like, "Well, that was a load of rubbish," you know. I think, and okay, you could argue that where was where was the cup game? It was at Doncaster when we were terrible in the first half. But other than that, I think it's been you know very positive, and I think you know we're all probably in agreement that there should be more points on the board there. You know, not even not even taking into account the last game. You know, there's um early in the season definitely more opportunities to have more points there. So um keep up that performance level, then you'd imagine, especially now we've got strikers, results should come. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think if we'd have, um, yeah, we could have the same amount of points, but the performance levels have been really shoddy and just like, well, we scrapped through that one and not had, you know what I mean, not, and not done well at all and just got walloped at Anfield, you know what I mean, for example, then we'd be, we'd be looking at things and, oh, West Ham away, oof, then Brighton, man, you coming up flipping heck, you know what I mean? Whereas like, now, as you say, and you can look at these and think, Actually, I back them to get something from plenty of these games, to certainly perform in plenty of these games. So it's a strange sense of optimism at the moment, isn't it? So like, um, it's uh, yeah, it's um, nothing to be fearful of. That's the thing that that's fair to say. 
Just hope at some point I get to use my uh, my green pencil again on on my on my chart, which uh, one of our <laughs> listeners, who's called Peter James Needham on Twitter, rather optimistically called a feature. And I, I don't know whether you'd ever call this particular uh, bit of paper I've made a feature. High, high uh, praise. But it'd be nice to use a bit of green on it. There was a flurry of green and we haven't had any for a while. So hopefully, Peter, we'll be getting the green out again at the weekend. At least a point. You know, if, if you, you take a point at West Ham, it, it would show again a level of consistency, wouldn't it? And uh, I had a quick glance um, today or yesterday at who the other teams in and around us have got this weekend. And um, there are some difficult fixtures out there. Um, let me just find it. Uh, Sheffield United are away at Arsenal. Uh, who else have we got? Um, Luton are away at Villa. Forest are away at Liverpool. You know, it's there's some tough games mm. in there. I, I know it's Bournemouth-Burnley, isn't it? So I'm not quite sure what we want to happen there. But um, yeah, if we can if we can get something this weekend, I, th- I think it it will it will it'll look quite rosy. I think relatively. Well, it it's funny because the the matches that we've played so far, if you take the exact same fixtures as last season, um, substituting Luton for Southampton, I think it is, uh, and Sheffield United for Leeds, we have almost had the same results in terms of points in terms of points picked up we're we're minus one uh so far this season on on those games so i think you know there's there's plenty of opportunity now in the next few weeks to start picking up points in games that we really didn't last season and obviously west ham would be one of them yeah so fingers crossed well, for this week's uh, weekly question, we thought that we would honour the memory of Bill Kenwright and uh, recall some of our fondest recollections uh, of his time as chairman. Andy, do you want to uh, do you want to kick it off? Like I said at the start, really, I think it was as much about well, my fondest memories will probably be as much as uh, about how we held ourselves as a club and how. Um, how he kind of represented us. And I don't think you can really, as an example of that, I don't think you can really look past the Hillsborough speech when he stood in front of the cop, which already is quite an unusual place for an Everton chairman to find himself, find their self. You know, it, 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 that shows a level already of um, respect that people had for him. Um, but the, the speech he delivered, and I, and I know, obviously, his background was that of kind of writing and theatre and picking the right words for the right moments. But I thought that day, um, he really did a fabulous job in in what must have been quite a difficult position. Um, you know, you took on the wrong city, you took on the wrong mums. Uh, it is just... Um, a very poignant line and it was and I, I remember watching that and I actually I've, I've watched it since funnily enough not recently but I have watched that a couple of times since um, and I, I just thought it was that summed him up I think that how he could um, how he could represent himself and Everton 
um, like that um, on that particular platform, which which was, you know, a very sensitive occasion. Full stop. Um, and the way he did it, I thought was brilliant. And 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 um, that's that's probably my uh, overarching memory of Bill Kenwright doing what he did best, I think, um, and representing us and the club and the city um, the way he did. Um, so, yeah, that would be my big memory. Uh, mine's actually, like, it's, it's a, a football game, actually. Um, uh, it, was, it was the first one when he, when, when he took charge after Peter Johnson. And uh, we can go back twenty, nearly twenty-five years to uh, him, uh, Boxing Day, nineteen ninety-nine, when uh, Sunderland came to town. He walloped them five-nil, and there was such a buzz about the place because it was only maybe like that morning or it's kind of in Christmas Day, kind of, where we found out about like the um, uh, Bill Canwright taking over. It was more the fact that at that point of yes, Peter Johnson is no longer in, in charge of Everton. It was, uh, you know, he, he kind of sort of tie, cut ties of Everton. Uh, a fair chunk before that, and um, but it was it was, it just felt like a real fresh new start. It was um, at the end, uh, and to, to start it off, just Hammer and Sunderland five nil um, was just brilliant. It was an amazing game to be at. Um, I remember Don Hutchison? You wouldn't have known. I think about a year later he was playing for Sunderland, but Don Hutchison scored a couple of good goals. I think if I recall, and it was just a really great, brilliant team performance, and just felt like the start. It was the start of a new era. On the Bill Kenwright, and it was just um, such a great way to, to to get that going, and it was just smiles all around on Boxing Day, and it was um, a really nice, uh, really nice time. And yeah, I guess Bill looking down will be ever so proud of that day, I imagine. Um, and yeah, great, uh, yeah, great performance. And uh, it was yeah, it was all about Bill Kenwright that day, and uh, and you know, taking over from Peter Johnson, and Peter Johnson no longer being involved with Everton, it was uh, it meant a lot to Evertonians then because it had been a really rough ride under Peter Johnson. So. Um, yeah, a really good day that was. Yeah, yeah, I think going back to the whole, you know, complicated legacy thing, I think it's 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 we forget just what uh, what an achievement that it was for him to actually buy the club at the time when there really wasn't anybody else out there. You know, he found he found the way in a way that I think all of us would would like to if we <laughs> if we had the means, you know, if we had the the friends and the connections and the, and and the money to be able to to buy the club and save it in its, in what was an hour of need, you know? And, and I, I, yes, it was, it was, a the, you know, the, John, the Johnson years had been, it's funny, we're almost kind of going through it again, aren't we? But the Johnson years really were, <laughs> a, were a difficult period. And, and once we'd kind of, you know, got, got them out the way it did feel for, you know, just a short while there. And again, under some of the best times under Moyes that, that, yeah, we kind of emerged from it and we were kind of building towards something, um, obviously it didn't it hasn't sort of panned out the way that we all helped we, we all would have liked but um yeah i think it's definitely worth remembering that that contribution of his for, for me i think it's um it's it's kind of the altruism the altruistic side of him i think is some of the most memorable things i mean obviously he was the one who was behind you know the big donation to the the Bradley Lowry family and i mean on more, on more than one occasion he would put on coaches to away games for fans paid out of his own pocket, so I think you could kind of see the, you know, the measure of the of the size of his heart and and his compassion and the, yeah, those are the things that I think many people will remember. And going just sort of going back on the on going back to the Hillsborough speech, I think that 
is the image that the rest of football saw. That was the Bill Kenwright that the rest of football saw. So that when it kind of in the last couple of years, when there's sort of been some disquiet about the fact that Bill was sort of not stepping aside and maybe the time had come for him to do so. I think there was some confusion from non-Everton football fans who couldn't understand why we had this, you know, this opinion of, you know, as I say, a man who was, who was very much thought of as one of the, um, the successful guys in football, one of the good guys in football. So uh, yeah, again, that's sort of a testament to, to his character, I think. Yeah, well, let's hope um, let's hope we get a something at the weekend, and um, for, in in that memory, really, and um, that will be good, and um, and it will be a new era, won't it? I mean, it always it already feels like it, it kind of it was going that way anyway. Whatever that new era looks like, and we still don't really know, which is the scary bit. But I think whatever happens now, it 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 will definitely be a new era at Everton, and that's partly um scary and that could be something that changes the club and we look back in a few years and, and, and it went in the right direction we just don't know that yet but uh whatever whatever happens now it's going to be different and i and i think um yeah that's the kind of the the level of imprint he's left on it which um which shows you know how, how long he was doing it and and um and and how how fondly people thought of him. So let's get let's get a result of the weekend for him. Hundred percent. I'm glad you mentioned that actually because that was one of the things that struck me when the news came through. It was like, oh boy, you know, we've got <laughs> we've got all this kind of uncertainty around the the ownership issue. We've got Farhan Mashir who really looks like he's you know he's kind of checked out and just wants to <laughs> wants to sort of cut ties as quickly as possible. And so there is. I mean, obviously, Bill, as I said at the outset, Bill's obviously been ill for quite a while, but it does kind of, it, it is almost a um, a sort of a clearing of the decks all at once if this takeover goes through. And it, it's going to be a very different club on the other side and pr- probably in fairly short order. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all uh, how it all shakes out. But obviously, the um, the immediate priority is three points at West Ham on Sunday. Hopefully the boys can do it. Hopefully can Sean Deitch can deliver uh, what would be um, a really big boost uh, victory at West Ham. What will probably be a, a poignant occasion with David Moyes. But uh, we'll return next week to discuss it, Blues. Until then, take care as always. And up the toffees.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.